But the casting of Tom Wilkinson as Carmine Falcone and Eric Roberts as Sal Maroney was absolutely ridiculous. If you're making a movie about Italian mobsters, you need to cast a man with flecks of Parmesan in his mustache. And that is John Turturro. The accent changed. I can't help it. (laughs) I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Welcome to the first episode of our revamped show, The Madams Podcast. If you were with us for our first two years as The Marvelous Madams, thank you so much for sticking with us as we break away from Marvel and transition to simply The Madams. Yes. Somebody cue that Kelly Clarkson song. It's called Breakaway, right? Cue that in your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we won't be putting it in for copyright reasons. Yes, because we'll be gone before we even start. And if you're joining us for the first time, buckle the fuck up, guys, because we're about to go on a ride to Gotham City. So for the first month of the Madams, we are nerding out. That's right. And we are kicking things off with a bang here with the Batman. Well, bang or whimper, debatable. That's true. And just for the record, Amy doesn't mean that it's a bad movie, everybody. She means that it is a downer. Yes, it is a downer for sure. I cannot argue with that. Mm -hmm. It's not quite the way we all felt coming out of the theater after Infinity War, but but still, definitely maybe skip it if you're having a bad day. I think I was in a better condition after Infinity War than this one. Probably. Yeah, but it's certainly nowhere near the Joker. I was ready to jump off a bridge after the Joker. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Odds are never going to cover that one, guys, because... We don't want to. I actually do want to, but in a happier time in life. Well, the thing is, that would force us to watch it again, which neither of us want to do. Yes, but it would be so good to discuss it. (laughs) Okay, so our Cliff Notes summary here of the movie, and I have to do this. I am compelled to do this in my best possible uh, Jim Gordon voice. Oh, dear. A serial killer named The Riddler is targeting corrupt politicians and cops in Gotham City. He draws the Batman into his game. And together with Jim Gordon, me, and Selina Kyle, <laughs> Batman slash Bruce Wayne works to take down the mob and save the crumbling city. Dot, dot, dot. And fail miserably. <laughs> okay, that was not your Jeffrey White voice. That was the trailer man voice. I don't know who he is, but he does it in all the trailers. Yes, I am not a middle-aged black man, so that one was a little tough for me. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie stars Robert Pattinson. Zoe Kravitz. Jeffrey Wright. John Turturro. It's just really funny to hear somebody who's not from the Northeast say his name in an awkward way. And we have Paul Dano. Colin Farrell. And last but certainly not least, the great Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Matt Reeves and, of course, was just released uh, back in March of this year. Yes. And when it came out, neither of us were really interested in the movie. Yeah. When this was in post-production, back then, I was planning to give it a shot in theaters, you know, despite DC's shitty track record. But it was when they announced the runtime 
the three hour runtime, I was like, oh, fuck this. I am not sitting in a theater. You know, it was still kind of COVID times Mm -hmm. for three hours for this. You know, said to my husband, maybe we'll get to it on HBO at some point. He cared even less than I did. He was adamant that he was not going to watch this movie. I think it was back in May. It had been out for like five or six weeks after lots of procrastination. I just put it on one night and said, fuck it. If I don't just start it, I'm never going to watch it. My husband was on the couch with his phone, scrolling Reddit, as is his custom. Mm -hmm. And within five minutes, he had put his phone down and we were both glued to the screen. We watched it that night and we watched it again the next night. And we are both more than a little obsessed with it. Yeah. The next day after she watched the movie, she got on to FaceTime with me and went berserk about how good this movie was. And well, with her track record of recommending movies to me, I took it with a lot of salt, not just a grain. So like a day after my husband and I had watched it for the second time, we're out taking a walk as we do in the afternoon. And we were just in silence because I had something to say and I was afraid to say it. (laughs) And I go, babe, I have a confession to make. And because we basically have USB drives to each other's brains at this point after 12 years, a happy marriage. He said, stop. He knew exactly what I was going to say and said, stop. It's recency bias. It will pass. (laughs) Because he knew I was about to say that I like the Batman more than the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And that's a tall order. It is. But guess what? After six watches, bitches, I'm still on board. I don't know why I said bitches. It just came out. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's the movie. It gets me all pumped up. It's this goddamn score that gets inside of me. The score is amazing. Yes, absolutely. But I would not want to watch this movie again. So the first time I watched this movie was three days ago. And I was dreading it because, A, Chris is insane about this movie. I was afraid for my life if I told her I didn't like it. She would fly halfway across the world just to murder me for saying that. Even my husband was like, Amy had better like this movie. And what does he care? (laughs) I know, right? I think this is like her relationship litmus test. Did you like the Batman? (laughs) No, to be fair, I can understand if this movie isn't everyone's cup of tea. The Burton movies, uh, 89, that kind of world isn't my favorite. I have my own issues with the Nolan movies. Uh, Some of those I'll mention here. But yeah, I can totally understand if this iteration of Batman isn't what people like the most. But here's the thing. For me, it's a lot like um, Mad Max Fury Road, Mm -hmm. where I don't think you can deny something is a great movie, even if you don't like it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I was super procrastinating on this movie just because I was scared And I sat down to watch it. I kept thinking that this is a two and a half hour movie. And then I look at the (laughs) runtime and I say, oh, fuck me. I need to watch this twice in the next couple of days. How the fuck am I going to find the time to do that? Six hours. I told her. I told her. (laughs) So, yeah, I went through the movie. And the day that I was watching this movie, 
it was pouring where I am right now. And the fact that this movie is very wet (laughs) had me very immersed in this movie. I was depressed at the end of it. Oh, I get it. I'm not going to lie. I get it. And I think, you know what I think a big difference is for me and you on it? It's cultural. I'm an American. I'm used to seeing shit like the ending of this movie. I've become jaded to it because it happens all the fucking time. And it's going to keep happening because we're doing nothing about it. Yeah, that's fair. But still, it's it's not an easy movie to get through. I'll say that. So the score and the rain... That is exactly where we are going to start this episode today, because before we really get into it, we have to discuss the world that this movie is set in. Yeah. So in my opinion, if you put Batman Returns and Daredevil season one in a blender, you get this movie. I would like to deny this, but it is true. Amy's a little sick of Daredevil. (laughs) Uh huh. Yes. (laughs) It has the comic book feel and the comic book world of the Burton Batman, Batman Returns, especially, but it also has those realistic elements and the grittiness of Daredevil. I would disagree with you about the comic book thing because for the first, I'd say, two thirds of the movie, I feel like this was a mystery thriller movie that happened to be a Batman movie. That's a good point. Yeah, I'll explain why I feel like it's more the characters and performances than the world for me that make it feel like such a comic book movie. Okay. And that's to their credit. So the composer of this movie is Michael Giacchino, who outdid himself. Guys, you know this man's work. He did the score for Thor Love and Thunder, Spider-Man No Way Home, Jojo Rabbit, Bad Times at the El Royale, Doctor Strange, Star Trek Beyond, The Jurassic World. You've heard this guy, and he's only getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the score for this movie is amazing. I love it, especially the Riddler's theme. Oh, and it's amazing that between, so we have Ave Maria for the Riddler, and we have the main Batman theme, mm-hmm. and then we even have that sub-theme, the light, like, romance, love, string theme. Mm-hmm. But Batman and Ave Maria themes There are so many iterations of these throughout the movie. Pieces of it here, pieces of it there. He does different things with it. Oh, it is masterful. Yeah, and even at the end of the movie, well, close to the end, when we have Riddler and Batman talking to each other, it meshes, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah, because they are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And I also want to give credit, this isn't something we ever really talk about, but Because both my husband and I noticed it, that's how good it tells you because that's not something I pick up on. The sound mixing in this movie is fantastic. We could not believe it. The first time we watched it, we didn't have to adjust the volume once. I actually did. Really? Yeah. I think for me, it was the screams. Okay. When Annika is screaming, that was one bit. And the explosions during the chase sequence was too loud for me. Okay. So... But I was wearing headphones at the time and I was watching it on my PC. Okay. Yeah, that might make the difference. Mm -hmm. So I think the reason we really noticed it this time, aside from it being really good, is that I had just recently rewatched the first two X-Men movies and those were almost unwatchable because the sound mixing was so bad. It was literally every 30 seconds adjusting the fucking volume. 
Yeah, well, X-Men, it's been ages since I've seen it, so I can't say anything about that. I also like the fact that we hear people breathing in this movie, especially the Riddler. Of course, that's very obvious, and it adds a sense of uncomfortableness. It does. To the movie. We also hear Batman breathing at a couple of points. Mm -hmm. And I find that interesting because that is not something you normally hear in a movie or any any kind of media. Yeah, and it's important for this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the choice of Nirvana's something in the way was also fantastic. It was. Speaking of that, I think that the cinematography was fantastic in the movie. There are a lot of these big panoramic shots that are very well done. And I love the fact that a lot of these shots are contrasting against light and Batman and Catwoman and all these. Are, it's, it's a shadow thing rather than actually seeing them. Absolutely. The movie is just gorgeous. And I could totally see, you know, this Bruce Wayne eventually go in the Kurt Cobain route. Know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. And they use light specifically with like gritty stuff, fire streetlights, muzzle mm-hmm. flashes. That one scene where the hallway is only lit by the muzzle flash was so fucking Daredevil. Yeah, it was. Yeah. As I was watching it, I said, yep, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. It was more like, God damn it, Daredevil. <laughs> and all this- No, I mean, as much as I do not appreciate Matt's pathology, I cannot deny that it is a fantastically shot show. Yeah. So it's that shadow that creates this dark, gritty atmosphere. And so here's what I mean in terms of the characters and performances. The writing may seem heavy handed at times. Yeah. But it's like it's taken from comic book panels. It fits with the movie as a whole and all these performances. My God. A minor league mope is now my new favorite insult. Thank you, Jim Gordon. Like that whole confrontation between Penguin and Gordon and Batman, the three of them, it's a microcosm for the whole tone of the movie. Mm -hmm. Good cop and batshit cop. And that told me that, yes, indeed, Lethal Weapon does exist in this universe and Oz has seen it. (laughs) And I was dying too when he was waddling around all tied up. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the perfect nod to Penguin. And I just love, too, the little touches. They got the details right, like the bat signal. It's not like a manufactured piece, perfect piece like in the other movies. It's just jagged pieces of metal that Gordon cobbled together on the top of an abandoned warehouse. You know, scientifically speaking, that bat signal would not actually work. Here she goes. And that is not a criticism of this movie. It's of the bat signal as a whole. Science Corner with Amy. Here we go. Thank you for not giving me a hat or a cap or a babushka. <laughs> because if that logic works, where the Batman signal creates the, creates the shadow in the sky, then the slats that keep the light covered would also show like that. It doesn't work like that. Whatever. Anyway, I think it's interesting that the only time we see sunlight in this movie is at the very end. It reminds me of what Harvey said. In the Dark Knight, it's a cliche, but it's always darkest before the dawn. 
Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite, other than the muzzle flash scene, my favorite use of the shadow and light, this friggin' highway chase. That was really good. Yes. My favorite scenes are from the abandoned warehouse where it is like the panoramic view and everything. And you see Batman and Catwoman in shadow over there. I think we have the orange sunset or maybe just before dawn. And the two of them are together over there. The profiles of them. It's fantastic. I love that scene. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. And you know what? I just realized I'm actually going to rain on the parade a little bit too. I can't help it. This car chase. I love it. It's amazing. That car is great. But this would cause the biggest pile up in the history of the automobile. Which it kind of did. Not really. There's relatively little collateral damage from what should be happening, especially in the pouring rain. I mean, this should be a 500 car pile up easily. True. And a lot of people should have died. Oh, yeah. Oh, tons. Hundreds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, 500 car pile up, at least 500 people. <laughs> it's a lot of flipping. <laughs> yeah. And these are also great comic book deaths that we see in the movie, too, where they're over the top, you know, even for serial killers, so performative and everything. And I couldn't help myself on subsequent watches, like yelling at the mayor, dude, get some curtains. You're the mayor. Haven't you seen other Batman movies? (laughs) Or, you know, lived. Yeah. Close your fucking curtains. Yeah. And I was actually wondering. So he's watching the TV and Riddler is standing right behind him. As soon as he switched off the TV, he should have been able to see the Riddler's reflection behind him. Whatever. Oh, come on. You can criticize, but I can't. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. But these are, you know, minor things that I'm perfectly willing to let go. All of them. Mm -hmm. Sure. You'd be willing to let go Boulder for this movie. Well, the Dark Knight's full of plenty of plot holes if you start thinking about that one too much. That's fair. And frankly, it's been a long time since I've seen those movies. Yeah. Yeah, because we're getting fucking old. The Dark Knight is 14 years old. Really? Yeah. (sighs) I know. That's depressing too. You're welcome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just just keep doing that. Just keep ruining my day. Great. So let's talk about this incredible cast that they assembled for this movie. It's a great ensemble. Mostly for Amy. If you say so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As As I expected, Amy has her issues with Mr. Pattinson. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'll be honest. The only other thing that I've seen him in is Twilight. And I cannot help but bring that experience in when I'm watching this movie. Yeah. And I'm free of that because I never saw Twilight. I wish I lived your life. (laughs) Though I definitely had an awareness of it for sure. And I've Mm -hmm. seen little clips here and there. But at any point in the past, if somebody had told me Krista, one day Robert fucking Pattinson is going to be your favorite Batman. I would have told them to go get a psyche valve. <laughs> but that is what. I still recommend a psyche valve for you. <laughs> but that is what happened. And I can't believe it either. I think he's done a good job, but I do not like this version of Batman. I think that 
this is obviously the character, not Robert Pattinson. And he's, of course, is doing a good job portraying this. I don't know how much one influenced the other, but this guy needs some serious therapy. Oh, yeah. And he's one step away from being one of those white supremacist killers. Yeah, he's one step away from being the Riddler. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing Michael Keaton said way back in the day when he was first cast as Batman. He read the script and went to Tim Burton and said, oh, this guy's nuts. And Burton's like, yeah. But it never came across for me in any of the previous movies, even Keaton's, with him playing it that way, that this was the case. But I think Pattinson nailed this in that regard. This is how Batman should be, I think. This is the first Batman movie, in my view, where there is no alter ego. They're the same person, the same entity. Sure. Yeah, but for a person who has the resources that he does, he should not be like this. This is a sign of mental illness. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. And I I think it reinforces the tone of the movie to this dystopian world that they're in where their city is literally crumbling everything is a mess that this isn't our world as we know it today this is a depressing place that people can't seem to climb their way out of you know yeah well let's be honest this is the next decade if things keep going the way they are why the hell do you think i was so depressed (laughs) i could see our future in gotham city yeah I mean, there are moments where I felt like Pattinson didn't even look like himself. It just reinforced that whole like distorted idea of the city. Yeah, that's true. But the biggest problem I have with this Batman and this this movie is that the fact that Bruce Wayne, who has the resources that he has, has gotten so distorted and so radicalized that his idea of helping people is to beat people up is not something that sits well with me. I get what you're saying, and I don't think it's supposed to sit well with you. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's not supposed to, because that's the whole point of the movie, is that, oh my God, look what I've done. I'm no better than this psycho who's killing all these officials. And he realizes that by the end of the movie, that he has to be Mm -hmm. something different and better. And that's what I love about his journaling is that him documenting all of this, it shows a desire for growth. You know what I mean? To track progress and, and look at things. It shows a desire to evolve in some way. Well, that could go both ways as well. Because again, we see the Riddler has a journal as well. And how many times have we seen these shooters who go out and shoot a bunch of people releasing a manifesto for themselves? That's an excellent point. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. So I don't think this is more about growth. It's about putting it out there for him. And it's like a science project. Well, the difference there is he doesn't want anybody to see it. For him, just to get it out of him, not necessarily to show it to people. Okay. I will give Pattinson a lot of credit too. The whole ending there, being underwater in that suit, Jesus, how heavy must that have been? Yeah, true. And claustrophobic feeling. I'm oh, I'm almost wondering if they made him a special suit just for all the water filming, like something lighter. 
Possibly. And also a lot of the water scenes were silhouetted. So it may not necessarily be the entire suit just to look like it. Okay, that's a good point. And the cape could possibly be CGI. And I want to give him two. We talked about this a lot in our Daredevil series. Credit for his jaw acting. Because when you're wearing a mask, (laughs) you got to work with what you got. Mm -hmm. My favorite moment of his is during his interaction with Riddler there at the end. When Riddler starts saying, Bruce, I think Pattinson is stellar. Just standing there using his jaw and his eyes. You can see all the thoughts in his head. Yeah. And it's such a great reaction when he realizes that, oh, oh, he doesn't know who I am. Yeah, it's a very well shot scene and the both of them are very good together. I also love the Batman reveal. This is my favorite one. No question. Coming up those stairs, the sound of the boots hitting the ground and just comes through. See, I actually had a problem with the boots, the sound of the boots, because visually how he was walking did not match the strength of the sound of the boots hitting the concrete. Okay, that's a whatever. (laughs) I also just, I really like boots. I have a thing about boots. I love boots too. Yeah, I love boots. (laughs) I would love to have those boots, but I know they would not make that sound. This made me think of Ben Affleck's Batman while he's, you know, like super padded up. To make himself look more intimidating in front of Superman. (laughs) Oh, good luck, Ben Affleck. You'll never be half the man Henry Cavill is. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Yes. And we do need to cover Superman, Man of Steel one day. One day. Yes. Not Batman versus Superman. No. I don't know what you're talking about. I did find myself uh, laughing out loud several times in this movie. One of them was unintentional. When Bruce first comes down for breakfast after he gets back, my first thought when he comes out in all black, God damn, he looks like a vampire. Oh, this makes sense. (laughs) Except if this was the Twilight universe, he would have been twinkling like a diamond. Really? Yeah. Apparently in that universe, the reason why vampires don't come out in the sun is because they glow, they twinkle, not because they die. I'm just going to leave that one alone. (laughs) It's like he's walking around with body glitter all the time. That seems like a good segue to uh, discuss this (laughs) this shirtless scene that, of course, we get in the movie. But I found it to not be gratuitous. I thought it made sense for the moment. It made sense to a point, but again, I was not a fan. I feel like you are, with each passing month, just less of a fan of men in general as we go by. No, no, (laughs) no. Henry Cavill, I would do anything to see him shirtless anytime. Yeah, I think it fit here because we had the Riddler laying it all bare for everyone and we have Bruce here doing the same. Is the spray paint a tad dramatic? Yes, but it fits. It doesn't. It was too much. (laughs) It was too much because I feel like Bruce is, he's being over the top. He's being an emo kid. (laughs) I was half expecting My Chemical Romance to start playing. 
Well, I think that's part of it is, oh, this guy stuck at the age where his parents died, which often happens with this, the trauma that severe. And he hasn't, for whatever reasons, gotten the proper help to deal with that. Yeah. And that doesn't fit well because of the resources that he has. And that's something that Ridley even talks about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also not entirely sure how old this Bruce is. He's definitely younger. Pattinson's 36, but I'm thinking he was playing more like 26. Okay. Does that sound about right? I don't know, honestly. I mean, the eye blackness kind of messes things up for me. Okay. Again, my chemical romance. So one thing I did appreciate about this Bruce is that he's much more self-aware. Even though he's majorly naive, he's still much more self-aware than previous Batmans and then Matt Murdock, for sure. Mm-hmm. Matt Murdock is as self-aware as a brick. Pretty much. This Bruce understands that, that he can't have a relationship. He doesn't even bother. Like, before it even gets started, it's like a not even an attempt with Selena. He doesn't really try. He knows better. Yeah, he doesn't even try. I don't think he even knows how to. I don't think he does. Mm-hmm. When she kisses him, it's almost like, well, nobody's ever done that before. Yeah, what the hell was that? Yeah. Kind of like me, if that happens to me now. I think it depends on who it is, but yeah. I think anyone, honestly. <laughs> it's just been so fucking long. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good lead-in to Miss Zoe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Was she wearing a corset? Because that waist, I could put my hand around, I could put my fingers around her and it would connect. Oh, my God. Do women take classes to walk like that? Probably. She's so tiny. She's like Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Now, to your question about the corset there, I've seen her in other things. She is just very tiny. Yeah, she is tiny. But here she's, it, it's very apparent. It made me uncomfortable. Like, has she eaten anything? Oh, she still looked perfectly healthy to me. Yes, 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 yes. I know. But her waist was just so tiny. Well, she also, she's also five foot two. She's just little. True. I've seen her in Big Little Lies and she's great in that, but she wears a lot of baggy stuff in that. Okay. So it's not too apparent. She's pretty tiny. You'll see in uh, X-Men First Class. That, that's, where I, that's where I first saw her. All right. Well, X-Men, um, I'm not really excited to watch it. Let's say that. Uh, no, 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 no. I think she did an excellent job. She did Selena Kyle and Michelle Pfeiffer and Eartha Kitt proud. Mm-hmm. Yes, she did a good job. And... Even though she's an attractive woman, she was not overly sexualized. Yes, I absolutely agree. I just love that they made Selena Kyle a woman of color. You know, Eartha Kitt Mm -hmm. was the first Catwoman on TV, but it's never happened before on the big screen. I don't quite think that's true. Yes, it is. There has never been a Catwoman movie on the big screen. It does not exist. No. So while she's in La La Land... Shame on you, Halle Berry. Shame on you. Hey, I think she's not bad. I think hormones may play a role there for you because I think she is one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood. Well, to each their own. I think she's not a bad actress. And my first experience with Halle Berry was actually James Bond, Die Another Day. Oh, 
<laughs> That's when I knew for sure I am bi. <laughs> it's really funny you say that because my first experience, like being aware, put it this way. I watched, you know, like He-Man cartoons when I was four and I was like, oh, I like this. Do not ruin this for me. I used to watch He-Man with my dad. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't have any kind of like sexual awareness at, or anything at four or five. But by the time Batman Forever came out, I was eight years old, had a little better understanding of the world and was like, hello, Val Kilmer. How are you today, sir? <laughs> And that's what I understood. That you are very straight. Yes. Yes. Uh, that no longer applies, in case you haven't seen uh, Val Kilmer of late. Yeah. No. Thank you. No. But back to Selena Kyle. She is so tough and so feminine at the same time. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's a damn good friend. If I'm ever murdered, I hope my best friends avenge me that hard. You and I respectfully defer on that. I would rather they move on and find peace. <laughs> it's only a few days. It's not like she's on still, a years long quest. Still, I would prefer that they don't go to jail for me. I personally would love to see Selena Kyle and Sylvie team up. Jesus, the ultimate survivors, they'd be unstoppable. Yes, and I think half the world, half the male population would explode. Possibly. And, you know, we said she's really not sexualized to Matt Reeves' credit in that scene where we have Bruce, you know, being a voyeur like the Riddler. Even when she's changing, there's nothing skimpy about it. She's wearing very practical underclothes, you know? Yes. And she's not doing it in a sensual manner. It's no. practical. And she trained her ass off for this movie. Sure, she did. But speaking of that scene, I hated it that he kept watching absolutely hated it i think that was the point where i went from eh to okay fuck this guy you know it's interesting because that didn't bother me this time because i don't see this bruce wayne as a sexual being in any way which is strange because i would climb this batman like a tree of course you would yes i see him more as a sexually repressed teenager who does not know how to express what he's feeling. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know which one. I think that's part of the enigma of him. Yeah, an enigma I would not like to meet. Oh, I'm not saying I'd like to meet him either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Kravitz trained her ass off. She watched a lot of cat videos, did a lot of dance, mm -hmm. dance training along with the fight training, and it really shows in the way she moves. Yes, true. And her fighting style is such that it's more kicking than punching is a good thing for someone who's as who's as small as she is, because then she's further away from her attacker. Exactly. And the legs are more powerful. Yes. Hated the nails. Like those are the nails that you cannot use to do anything. But I know why they did it for the character, obviously. But as a woman who gets really pissed off with long nails, it just doesn't work for me. I understand. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, they do come in handy for her eventually. Yes, they do. A couple of times. But I don't know how she does anything that's normal with those nails. Yeah, and I give her a ton of credit too 
in all the fight scenes, but especially with Pattinson, yeah, it's stunt fighting, but when you're up against a guy who's literally twice your size, a lot could go wrong. Sure, yeah. But of course, they've trained and they've practiced and they have all those safety things in mind. Yeah, but couldn't get me to do it. No thanks. Yeah, you're a lover, not a fighter. I fight with my mouth. There we go. I, there are too many jokes coming. I do not know which one to say. (laughs) So, you know what I love about Selena too is her costume. Much like Michelle Pfeiffer's was in Batman Returns, it's shoddy and it's fallen apart. Like, it's so clearly a DIY job. Yeah, and it's very akin to the full body suits bikers wear. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that's super custom made. If you were to look at her without the mask, she wouldn't look quite so out of place. Yeah. And it fits again with the rest of the movie, the struggle she has. Even it fits with Gordon because of his own desperation in trying to get to the bottom of all of this, putting that DIY light up on top of an abandoned building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, here's what I really want to know. How the fuck did they get these cats to sit still and do what they wanted. Seriously, please tell me so I can pee and shower by myself. <laughs> she won't leave me alone. There's a paw under the door right now as I'm recording. This is the start of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with the paw. The killer kitty in theaters, December. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Zoe Kravitz said those were actually the most difficult scenes to shoot. Because guess what? Of course they were. Cats do what the fuck they want. Yeah. In fact, I actually just saw a video uh, a couple of weeks ago, not connected to the movie, where some models were doing a photo shoot with cats. And it was more about getting the cat in the right frame of mind, in the right pose, than it was about the model. Sure. So the model would be standing there for five minutes on her tippy toes for the one thing while the trainer was coaxing the cat to come up and do whatever they needed to do. Yeah, dogs are so much easier. They'll do anything for some chicken jerky. (laughs) They could have just, you know, put like tuna fish around Pattinson's legs, boots or something and had that's why they were all, you know, rolling around him. That was a great line too. just... Got a lot of cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> matter of fact. <laughs> and, you know, to your point about Bruce's sexuality or lack thereof, whatever, I think there's also another point that goes with this. When Selena's first going through the club with uh, the magic contacts in, mm-hmm. he says to her when he sees all the creeps looking at her, well, these guys have a little problem with eye contact, don't they? Yeah. Mm hmm. He's got no clue about anything. Like, this is how a lot of men behave just out in the world. Just normally. This is a fucking strip club. Like, what do you think they're doing? What do you think they're there for? You know? He is so naive. Yeah, because he's not lived. Yeah. Clearly, this guy has not gone out of his castle except to go beat people up. He is the epitome of the princess in the tower. In a way. Yeah. And Selena's having none of it. She is so strong 
And Annika is her priority. She doesn't say how high when Bruce says jump. Yeah. And in subsequent watches, man, when she grabs that bag of cash, I'm like, yes, girl, you get your money. Damn right, it's yours. <laughs> and I, I love, too, that a woman going after what she damn well deserves screws up all these men's plans, including Bruce. Yeah, it does screw, screw up everyone's plans. And she's on a mission. So fuck them all. Mm-hmm. And then she does it again, kicking Kenzie off of the building to escape, using this piece of shit man to get her way. Yes. Yeah, but she did it in front of a cop. That's not a smart move. She also wasn't worried about him. She knows her own skill set and was pretty damn sure she'd be able to get out. True. Yeah. And knows that there were way bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. And speaking of those big fish, I don't blame Selena at all for trying to kill Falcone. Yeah, I don't blame her either. In fact, she should have done it earlier. We wouldn't have had the movie then. Well, she was naive too, not realizing that Falcone killed her mother. Yeah, true. But then, I mean, I see where she's coming from. You wouldn't want to think that your dad killed your mom. Of course. Of course. And Selena taking down all his goons is awesome. Yeah, it is. She's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and everything she does, it's so quick and fluid. Yeah, yeah, she like a cat. Yeah, and in the end, she does what she needs to do. She does not stick around for a man. And um, yeah, even though she's you know technically a criminal, I'm kind of on board for her mission. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a Catwoman movie with Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, no offense to Anne Hathaway. I think she did a great job, but this is a different version. Yeah, and in that movie, a lot of it also depended on the sexual tension between Bruce and Selena. Yeah, and that wasn't the case here. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of chemistry. Yes. But because this guy is a doofus, nothing happened. All right, now before we get into the real meat of Gotham here, starting with Jeffrey Wright, let me ask you this. The fucker drops... I don't know. I'd say it's another fictionalized version of LSD, probably. I don't know what they do. Because it didn't... Nobody was bouncing off the walls like it was meth. Mm-hmm. Nobody looked like an inflatable tube man like it was heroin. I couldn't quite make <laughs> out... Nobody was acting like they had giant lizards running after them. So I'm just not really sure what the drops were. But I liked it. Yeah, and also those who were wasted, quote-unquote, were, it seemed more like they were drunk as opposed to anything else. Yeah, it was cool, I think, the way they kept it nebulous, and we'll talk about uh, Peter Sarsgaard there in a little bit. But uh, mm -hmm. the whole element here of the mob, the drugs, I found it also very reminiscent of uh, L.A. Confidential, where the police chief, in that case, took over Mickey Cohen's drug racket back in the day in Los Angeles. And it's the... The same old story, which is why it works. It never ends, this kind of corruption in the real world, of course. Yeah, it doesn't. So fun fact, Jeffrey Wright had actually voiced an animated Batman in the past and totally forgot about it. Really? Yes. He's done a lot of voice work, you know? <laughs> Shit blends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he was a perfect choice for Jim Gordon. Yeah, I think he did a great job. But I feel like he was underutilized. How so? I feel like his role in this movie was to facilitate Batman's access to the crime scenes for the most part. 
And I do feel like I get that his character is the everyday man who is a normal guy who is horrified with all the brutality that's going on in this movie. But a lot of his dialogue comes down to, oh, Jesus, Jesus, come on. You know, that's basically what he's doing through the movie. And I think he could do more. So real quick, can we get a round of applause at least for his mustache? I mean, it's his normal mustache. Still, it's awesome. <laughs> I don't like facial okay. hair as a rule, but if you're in like Tom Selleck territory, I've got to give credit where credit is due. Tom Selleck, I would climb like a tree. Thank you, Monica Geller. All right. So <laughs> I totally see what you're saying. But for me, it worked because of this world that we're set in. Like the Nolan movies, well, like the Dark Knight, at least. I don't remember Dark Knight Rises as much. I didn't like it. So I think I only saw it once, maybe twice. But I saw Gordon and Batman as even truer partners in this because they're all each other has. And the bumbling Gotham police are really in full force here. Yes, true. They were bumbling all through the 90s. They're bumbling here. It's pretty much Gordon as the only detective just surrounded by a sea of beat cops. It's like yes. Gordon versus the city. Yes, I get that. And the fact and what you said about Gordon and Batman being partners is true. I understand that. But being the fact that Gordon is the only sensible guy in this sea of stupidity, I feel like he was not as jaded as he could have been in the world that he's living in. Yeah, well, him and Bruce are alike in that way, is that they're these cynics who are actually frustrated idealists who are super naive. Yeah, fair. But I don't know. I do feel like his perpetual surprise at everything was a bit much. I loved the scene where thumb drive. <laughs> that was my favorite scene in the movie. And I think Robert Pattinson did a fantastic job there, keeping it completely deadpan, which was great. But beyond that, after that, anytime anything gross happened, Jim Gordon was just like, oh, Jesus. You know, it was a bit much. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Batman is the straight man in this movie the entire time. It's the others around him who are comic book characters. And Gordon is one of them because Jeffrey Wright, he butts up against that line of hammy. He butts up against it, but he always pulls it back. Just in time, at least mm -hmm. for me. Open your eyes. <laughs> and that voice, his, his voice is just fantastic. His voice is fantastic. And I and I've seen him again in especially in uh, Westworld. And he can play that gravitas and that straight man and that that grittiness very well. I feel like that could have been a strong suit in this movie. All right. So let's move on to our villains here. Let me tell you, I have never in my life been so happy to see John Turturro. Why? One of my biggest pet peeves with the Nolan movies, and others may not have this issue. This may just be where I'm from, you know, the kind of culture I grew up in. But the casting of Tom Wilkinson as Carmine Falcone and Eric Roberts as Sal Maroney was absolutely ridiculous. If you're making a movie about Italian mobsters, you need to cast a man with flecks of Parmesan 
in his mustache. And that is John Turturro. The accent changed. I can't help it. (laughs) You need Brooklyn's John Turturro for this job. And he fucking slam dunked it. Yeah, he did a great job. I'm not going to say his name. (laughs) Do not know how to. But he did a great job. I think Taturo and Falcone both put on a great show. He brings this perfect energy, this mix of like slimy, paternal, manipulative bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. And you are convinced that he owns the world. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some Wilson Fisk vibes to him. A little bit. But Fisk is Fisk. Yes. Well, Falcone does not eat. Nearly as much macaroni as Mr. Fisk. (laughs) (laughs) Or Zupa. (laughs) And I have to mention here, as my true crime cap is sitting right next to me, I'm going to put it on right now, actually. I'm not going to wait for Riddler. We have two serial killers in this movie. Because Mm -hmm. on top of being a monster, Falcone is a fucking serial killer. He has strangled at least two women, tried with Selena, and who knows how many more there are. Yeah, sure. And the fact that he wants to strangle them up close and personal says a lot about who he is. Oh, yeah. He's a psychopath. Uh Uh-huh. And he loves the power. Yep. That's what it's all about with him. And Riddler, too. Power and control. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love the perp walk that Batman does with him at the end. It really reminded me of, and this is something we talked about the other day, of uh, Hugh Laurie in The Night Manager getting perp walked out by... Olivia Coleman coming out. Oh, I'll be out in no time. Oh, you can't touch me. Blah, and then sees the Egyptians getting out of the truck and it's, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, but in this case, Falcone didn't really face justice. It was He was done. He was gone in a minute. He was, but he also definitely didn't want to die. So it's something. True. But I think if they had cast Falcone the wrong way, this movie doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So... Props to Mr. Totoro. Sure. Yes. Props to him. Now, let's talk about the man whose uh, face, I believe, is made of Play-Doh, who has creeped <laughs> who has creeped me the fuck out since Little Miss Sunshine, Paul Dano. He is amazing. He is. And he plays a psycho very, very well. It concerns me. Yes. If I ever were to meet him in real life. I would run away. As would I. Have you seen There Will Be Blood? No. If you had seen that, you'd feel that way even more. I see. Yes. I mean, I'm sure he's probably a really nice guy in real life. I kind of feel bad for him. But he's amazing in this movie. Yeah. He is truly an unhinged maniac. And even with the mask on, like in that opening, when he kills the mayor... Just only Mm -hmm. seeing his eyes, you can see the mix of fear and excitement and the, oh my God, this is really happening. Mm -hmm. I'm really doing this. Yeah. And that's why he waits. Yeah. Kind of like how I will feel when I actually move to my new house. (laughs) It still hasn't happened, guys. It went through. The deal's done. It doesn't matter if anybody dies or anything falls through the earth. It's fucking done. Yeah. Yeah. But it's... There's still a ways to go. But now it's the easy part. Now it's just the physical moving part. She'll be fine. Don't worry, everybody. I don't know if she's telling you guys to reassure you or me. 
<laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> yeah, he Riddler waits a moment to savor this and also gain his nerve because when it comes down to it, he's a fucking coward. Sure, and he attacks the mayor from the back. Yes. And I think they really did a good job with his character too from a true crime perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a solid progression. So we see that aspect of him, the lying in wait with the mayor, and he's clearly hard as a rock while tying him up. Yeah, I got the impression too. And I think the fact that they had the tape hanging right there was was like a short form way of telling us. That. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned, that's where the breathing is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then with the murder of the police commission, we see, oh, this guy's a sadist. No question. Yeah, I mean, if he used that carpet tucker to kill someone, it's not a sharp instrument. No, but it's like the torture, the slow burn torture aspect and watching it happen. That's what makes him, that's the sadist part. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, score one for the production design here, because even the handwriting on the Riddler cards that he leaves for the Batman is so creepy and disjointed. And it's not like written do you know what I mean? It's like colored in with pen. Yeah, scrawled in. Yeah, like he spent time yeah. really digging that pen in there. Yeah, like putting all his energy into those cards. Yeah. And I also need to give a big round of applause to the prop master and the wardrobe people because who the fuck found Nashton's glasses? Those are Jeffrey Dahmer glasses if I've ever seen them. Really? Did yes. he wear glasses? Yes. Oh, I see. And so we have that element, and then we also have the cipher, which is reminiscent of the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in The Dark Knight Rises, I didn't care for Tom Hardy's performance, the whole Bane voice. I didn't like it. But this muffled lisp that Dano has going on because of the mask, oh, it works. It works really well, yes. I think there's more to it than just the mask. Because in the last video that he puts up with his mask on, where he tells everyone, this is it, you know, I'm going to be caught. You don't hear the voice. He is doing post-production to his voice before he puts it out. I see what you're saying. So it's not just the mask. And it does a fantastic job of creeping us the fuck out, especially with the breathing. Definitely. And he does a great job with this closing monologue, too. and. He, he makes a lot of solid points. That's the thing. The poor are ignored time and time again. Yeah, I get it. That's the thing about this movie that really got to me was that I could see this happening in real life. In fact, I'm surprised that like after the Joker movie came out, we had so many of these guys talking like, oh, yeah, I... I associate with the Joker and things like that, that there aren't so many people talking about the Riddler in the same way. I'd have to watch Joker again mm -hmm. to see for myself the differences in it. I've kind of scrubbed that movie from my brain a little bit. Um, yeah, so we will cover it and we can discuss it then. Uh... It's going to be a fantastic episode. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a fucking downer. I'm going to need some antidepressants bef after and before. But it's going to be an amazing episode. Guys, if you want us to cover Joker, tell us on social media at 
the Madam's Pod. You jerk. <laughs> for using our audience against me. And then, too, at the very end, with his, uh, his little cellmate there, Dano's sobbing. He sounds like a wounded animal. He does. His voice acting in this movie has been incre- was incredible. I did not know he could go that high. His pitch. Yeah, he's got a lot of range. Yeah. His face, unfortunately, doesn't have the same range his talent does. Well, he's making it work. Oh, he is. Oh, yeah. He was amazing. I was blown away by his performance. I think he was the saving grace for this movie, for me. I don't know what that says about me. No, I'm with you. I hear you. He was a perfect choice. And we're definitely going to have a lot more to say about uh, Mr. Nashton. But now let's move on to Colin Farrell, who, if I hadn't seen the YouTube transformation clips myself, I never would have believed it. Yeah, I don't understand the point of that. He did a great job. Yes, and I know what you're saying. Like when uh, Gary Oldman played Winston Churchill, I felt that was stupid. I'm like, just get a guy who actually meets Churchill specifications. But, mm-hmm. but for Penguin, it's different because he looks like a comic book character. Not really. I could picture the Penguin in the real world. Uh, I don't know. It, plus with the, the Joe Pesci gold tooth there, that was awesome. Yeah, true. I mean, he's a caricature, sure, but his look is not comic book exaggerated. I just don't know who had the idea that Colin Farrell could do this. Like, who had that in their mind? Because it's like, he's not a guy who auditions. He hasn't auditioned for anything in 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So who had this idea that he could pull this off? Because goddamn, he's fantastic. He is. He is literally unrecognizable both visually and audibly so i was watching some interviews about this and at one point jeffrey wright was on set he was waiting for colin farrell to show up so they could get ready and did not know that he was standing right next to him (laughs) like there are so many times i try to see or hear the real him and there's no trace of it yeah yeah he did a fantastic job It's my favorite performance in the movie. His accent, the mannerisms, his face, just everything about him is perfect. When he first said, I don't know anything about no moida of a goyle. Mm -hmm. That was, it was right on the line. Perfect. It makes this movie like a modern throwback. Okay. And now we come to Andy Serkis. I'll be honest. I did not like this choice when I first heard about it. I'm like, what? Are they insane for Alfred? No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, he did a good job. Didn't have much to do, but he did a good job. And I will say, like the mayor, he has also never seen other Batman movies or any thriller. or He never would have opened that package. True. And I thought that was a great scene, too, with the phone call and Alfred like getting blown up. It was a good fake out with the editing. They got me. I thought Alfred was dead Mm -hmm. the first time I watched it. Actually, I did not think that Alfred was dead at that time. When I saw Alfred giving Bruce the cufflinks, I thought, oh, fuck, he's going to die. I didn't even think of that, but you're totally right. That's usually movie language for a ticking clock over this guy's head. Yeah, yeah. You could just see the countdown starting. 
But then I thought to myself, of course he's alive. This Alfred was in the circus because Andy Circus, Circus is made of fucking rubber. <laughs> Actually, when Alfred wakes up and Bruce is sitting next to him, the first thing Bruce says to him is, you lied to me. That pissed me off. Like, this is your father figure. Yeah. He took a bomb for you. Get out of your ass. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a lot we can infer about their relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think they have always been very close. But what mm-hmm. it's coming down to is that we saw that this is actually the 20th anniversary of Bruce's parents' death. I think there's a lot triggering him right now. And he has no idea how to handle it. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying I think that's what is leading to it. And he does feel like a piece of shit. Clearly, once, you know, Alfred tells him the truth. Yeah, but he doesn't apologize. Mm -hmm. In his way, he does. He doesn't say the words, I'm sorry, but in his way, he does. But sometimes that's not enough. For this Alfred, it was. Yeah. He's English. You know. (laughs) And I like the hints we got of this Alfred, too. And Dark Knight did that as well with Michael Caine in the story about the guy in the jungle. And I'm not saying that this performance, that this version of Alfred is better than Michael Caine because it's Michael fucking Caine. Um, It's just different. And I love Michael Caine's Alfred. Yeah, it's different. And somehow, I don't know why, but every time I think Alfred, I think Michael Caine. He's not the definitive Alfred, but it's just there in my mind. Now, see, unfortunately, when I think Alfred, I think Michael Go. And I say unfortunately, Mm -hmm. not because he was a lousy Alfred, but because I have had fucking... Batman Forever imprinted on my brain with its awfulness because I saw it a thousand times when I was a child. And he's also played Alfred the most times. Okay. This Alfred, though, is a little different. It had me wondering because the way he talks about the Waynes, he says it was my job to protect them. And I'm like, wait, was this Alfred their bodyguard? Mm hmm. And then he became their butler? Was he like a bit of both? What was the deal there? Well, he also said that he could teach Bruce how to fight, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't help him in other ways. Yeah. So it's possible that he was a bodyguard undercover as a butler. Very true. And we don't know to what extent, and he's like kind of taking responsibility there. Like, I didn't get you the kind of help you needed. I may have gone down the wrong road with teaching you how to fight kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Back in the days when I ran my own web design business, I only backed up my important data on an external hard drive. Oh, the follies of youth. So when my brother dropped the hard drive and I lost three years of my life, I was devastated. Is he still alive? Yes, but I considered burying him under the floor. Once I stopped crying, I realized I needed a more reliable backup system. Enter Backblaze, the set it and forget it cloud storage solution. For $7 a month, Backblaze protects your most important data from life's little curveballs, like clumsy siblings, rowdy kids, and mischievous pets. And with its simple interface and easy setup, anyone can use it. I'm certainly proof of that. Sign up now for a 15-day free trial using the link in our show notes, which also helps support the Marvelous Madams. Backblaze. When it comes to data, they have your back. Okay, so I talked about the bumbling Gotham police department here. 
I love the casting of these smaller parts with the cops. Yeah, the one cop who speaks to Batman the most. I, I like him. Yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> this guy. This is what I'm talking about. This is the one movie that really, really, just in case you weren't sure, sets this shit in New York. We've got Gotham Square Garden. We've got we've got Totoro, and we've got these cops, especially the one who I swear I was just waiting for him to be like, hey, hey, you know, I could get you a sandwich. Put some nice gabagool on there, some extra provolone if you want it, you know, whatever, man. I, I could have seen that. He was perfect. <laughs> and it just ad- added so much to the movie for me. Martinez, too. I liked him a lot. Yeah. And the fact that he thinks initially in the movie, he thinks that uh, Batman is a freak. And then the next time we see him is when he's meeting Bruce Wayne and he's like a fanboy. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and the fact that all these cops, they're idiots, yes, but the sheer number of them running <laughs> is just amazing. Yes. <laughs> and one last bit for casting and characters here. I want to give a quick mention to Peter Sarsgaard as District Attorney Gil Coulson. This guy is the definition of a schmuck. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and when you need a good schmuck, you call Peter Sarsgaard. You know, he actually reminds me of someone, but I can't remember who. I've been racking my brains for days, but I just can't remember. There's another character in somewhere, sometime, somehow, he reminds me of, but I can't get it. Knowing your face blindness, you've probably just seen Peter Sarsgaard somewhere before, and it's him. I don't have face blindness. <laughs> I have name blindness. <laughs> and it, possibly, yes. <laughs> All right, so now let's talk about some of the larger themes here with her characters. Dive deep into this. So much like Peter Parker's mother in uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, Martha Wayne here is an afterthought with everything. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that about halfway through the movie, we realize that all of this is coming down to Bruce Wayne because of what his father did to protect Martha. Yeah. And in my mind, it went back to Batman versus Superman of it all comes down to Martha. Yeah, I didn't like that. We have to protect the fragile little woman. I do respect the fact that the man loved his wife and wanted to keep all Mm -hmm. of that private. Totally fine. But from a more macro perspective, I did not care for that. And Bruce always says... My father. It's never my parents, just like Peter Parker. Yeah. And it's his father's legacy. Yeah. And it's about living up to his father's expectations and all of that. And the one instance I can think of that I've seen where it's the opposite, if you remember, is Tony in Civil War about Mm -hmm. Bucky when he just looks at Steve and goes, he killed my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so primal. Yeah. As we have already alluded to, there is also a lot, a lot, one could say the foundation of this movie, is the whole concept of race and class warfare. More so class warfare in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. The race, the race for me comes into the in real life casting factor. Right. I think it's more about class and privilege and money that comes into this. Yeah. So in reality here, we have three people of color who are heroes 
in the movie. Gordon, Selena, and woman who we haven't talked about yet, Bella Royale. Yeah, I really liked her. Me too. So we have Gordon as like the truly noble and incorruptible cop. He goes where the evidence takes him, even when he doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have Selena fighting for justice for two other women that she cares about. Annika, her friend, and her mother, Maria. And in the end, she also saves Batman's life. Yeah, she does. And she does not go down the typical route of sacrificing her life for the guy. No. Now, here's the thing with Bella Royale. And this made me mad. Not mad at the movie, mad at myself and society. So this also happened recently. My husband and I started watching The Boys on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago. I highly recommend it. At least the first two seasons. We're in season three right now, and I don't know what's about to happen. Anyway, <laughs> there's a character named Congressman Vicki Newman, and I'm not sure exactly what her ethnicity is. She is South Asian, possibly, um, Middle Eastern. Anyway, when my husband first saw her, he goes, oh, that's the show's AOC. And I said, yep. And, and when I saw Bella Royale, I thought the same thing. Oh, she's the stand-in for Congresswoman. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And I got so pissed at myself for thinking that because that's where my mind went immediately, that it had to signify a single actual woman rather than just any young woman of color who belongs in a position of power. Mm -hmm. You know, it reflects the lack of representation in government now, now more than ever for women. Yeah. Now, again, for me, not being American and not being so involved in American politics, when I saw her, for me, she was a breath of fresh air. And I knew instinctively that she's the one sane person in this movie. Mm -hmm. She's the one who's going to come out on top. She may be the best person in the movie. Yes. And at the end of the movie, when we have, after the flooding, the next morning, where she's giving a press conference, it gave me a lot of 9-11 vibes of George Bush being a, an apparently decent man at that time in those press conferences and being this beacon of hope. Yeah, we, will, we won't dive into that. But yes, I see what you mean. Yeah. So she was the one beacon of hope at the end of the movie, more so than Batman was. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. And I think Bruce would also agree. That he's got a lot of work mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. And we also have this idea, that voyeurism again, the idea of looking in on how the 1% lives. And even if we don't want to be, we're all guilty of it. In what sense? There's always a draw, you know, to see how the other side lives. And Riddler's doing that as much as he's surveilling a target with the mayor. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think all of this together reinforces the, the major message of this movie, which is the biggest problem in government and society is too many privileged or rich white men in power. Yeah, I agree. Well, in my case, it's just men. You know, there are too many men in power who are unwilling to listen. Yes, I absolutely agree. And especially more so for Amy in these last few weeks of ridiculous flaming hula hoops that she has had to jump through for her move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, with the inclusion of three heroes of color, 
that is the message of we need greater representation in positions of power to fix society. Yes. And no matter what you look like or where you come from, it does not matter as long as you're able to do something positive. Yeah, it's interesting because there are a lot of nature mm-hmm. nurture questions in here too, because we have three people, three orphans, Riddler, Selena, and Bruce, who live three very different lives and experiences. Mm-hmm. We have Riddler who doesn't know who his parents were. Selena is the child of a mobster and possibly sex worker, dancer, not exactly sure what her mother's role in the mm-hmm. club was. And then we have Bruce born of wealth and privilege. But they all ended up together. They all ended up together, but they all ended up with very different mindsets. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that the Riddler and Bruce Wayne are both white men and they both chose violence with the same idea of betterment for society, but doing it in a different way. They kind of were doing it in the same way till Bruce realizes that. Yes, exactly. Is very telling. And Selena, on the other hand, yes, she is violent in this movie, but it is in response to violence towards her friend. Right. It's more self-defense. Yes. And at the same time, her entire goal is survival. Mm -hmm. Whereas these guys, it's about is about vengeance. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite lines in the movie, Selena to Bruce, what do you live in a cave? Yeah. (laughs) It was so meta, but so fitting at the same time. Just absolutely perfect. Because yes, yes, he does in more ways than one. Yeah, true. And like I've already said, you know, it's a tropey thing, but it really works here for the message and dichotomies of the movie. Bruce and Edward Nashton are two sides of the same coin. In fact, now I'm interested to know if you had the same experience in that opening I wasn't sure at first if that was Riddler or Batman's point of view. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't either. Yeah. Because I came in cold. Yeah. You know, I didn't know who it was. That was the point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we get to the end there in that pseudo interrogation scene, when Bruce shuts down the partnership idea, he is horrified. And that's why, you know, he goes off on Nash as hard as he does. And God, Dano is just excellent here. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. And I could see a lot of people thinking this was melodramatic, but no, he, again, true crime cap on, this was played perfectly. He is batshit crazy. And in this moment reverts to a childlike temper tantrum. Essentially. Yes. I don't believe it's melodramatic at all because when he, the way he played it, he played it so well, you immediately know He's reverted back to a child. Yeah, it's like he's in physical pain. Yeah. And you've got to ask yourself too in this moment, which of them is actually more fucked in the head? It's a tie. Yeah, because, you know, different ways. Mm -hmm. They're both damaged in their own ways. I think Bruce has much, much more capacity for good. I don't think Riddler has any in him. Sure, yes. No denying that. But Bruce Wayne, even though he has the capacity for good, chose to do it in a violent way. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. And to that point, we have the flip side of Riddler's plan here exemplifies another problem. 
a white male who's always felt powerless, regardless of whether or not he actually was, it's about perception. Now, this guy actually was. He had a horrific upbringing. But Mm -hmm. he uses violence to finally get that power and respect. But the way Reeves does it is that you can still be sympathetic for this guy because it's also a criticism of society's lack of care for the poor for the defenseless. You know, in a lot of ways, this is actually more like um, 1980s New York City after Ronald fucking Reagan shut down all the mental health facilities. And that's, you know, what happened in Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. That, you know, really happened in the US in the 80s where we just said, oh, we we don't need to help any of these super ill, super unstable people. They're not going to cause any trouble. And even now, you know, access to mental health care is a huge problem. Yeah, it is. Now, did you think at any point that Nashton did know Bruce was Batman? I did. I did. Initially, when we see the collage on the wall in his house, and then when he goes, Bruce yeah. Wayne, yeah. Uh, I thought, oh, fuck. My husband has been doing that randomly in the house for weeks now. <laughs> and actually, when I saw the movie for the first time, I got a bit confused. Like, wait, he knew that what what the hell happened? But on second viewing, it cleared up for me that he didn't actually know. Yeah, they didn't get me on that one. And I think it's because of my true crime fanaticism, because I knew there'd be no way for Riddler to reconcile those two things. If he found yeah. out that Bruce was Batman, he'd probably kill himself. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of like on a lighter note when we were joking about Flash figuring out who Spider-Man was. <laughs> Very true. Or maybe it might be more apt when, what's his face? He was one of the uh, crime scene techs or detectives when on Sherlock, when he found out Sherlock was actually alive and just completely cracked up in his apartment. Yeah. (laughs) But Pattinson played that so well. He definitely thought Nashton knew who he was. It was just great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did a very good job in that scene. Doesn't have much to say over there. It's just his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he did a fantastic job. That scene, I think, is one of the best scenes of this movie. Yes. Very well acted on both ends. And here's what I think the other big message of the movie is. And this is why Bruce's arc is really important for it. And I think everything you feel is warranted in that you're supposed to feel, you know, Mm -hmm. Bruce feels like he talks about this in a journal. He feels like he's making no headway in all that he's doing. He's out there every night. He's doing so much, but he doesn't, he's just treading water. And I feel like this is the movie also saying, Hey, everybody, This kind of street crime that he's battling, it's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And this is where I have to have respect for the monster. It's the Riddler who understands that the true problems are systemic. They're in government. They are at the policy level. And that makes Bruce extremely naive. Yeah, and that is my biggest problem with this movie, where all the other Batman movies we've got Bruce Wayne I'm not saying all of them are good but they all have 
this part where Bruce does a lot of philanthropic stuff. He visits charities, he donates a lot of money and things like that and does his Batman stuff at the same time. This guy is so obsessed with the violence and trying to be vengeance that he does not see the systemic problems which comes from the fact that he's lived a privileged life even though it's a tragic life. Well, I think what's important too is that this Bruce isn't as rich as the other Batmans, as the other Bruce Waynes, that we have that scene where Alfred's telling him, like, before long, you're going to have nothing left. Like, that money has been dwindling for a while. And he hasn't been paying much attention to it. Yes, and that's something that he should have. It's his obsession that's made him reach this point. Well, because let's be honest, we've seen billionaires who can piss away money and still earn more in the time that they took a piss. I agree with you, but I think this is also part of the dichotomy of Bruce. All right, so look at the millennials in the United States, our entire generation currently drowning under the weight of student loans. Because Mm -hmm. when we all took out these loans, we were kids. We were Mm -hmm. mostly 17 because we had to get ready for college at 18. We were 17 year old kids taking out these loans, having no idea what it truly meant because we were kids and American schools do not prepare you in any way for the real world, for finances, anything like that. And it was our parents who were like, yeah, no problem. Sign on the dotted line because this is what we're told we have to do to get you into a college that may not even be right for you. But anyway, that's a whole nother Mm -hmm. rant. So with Bruce, he was like eight or nine when his parents die. Obviously, he's not going to get billions of dollars right away. That money is going to be held in trust to a certain point. So sometimes that trust, sometimes that shit doesn't kick in until you're like 30 or 35. We don't know how much money he's actually had to work with. Obviously, they're going to leave money to keep up the their home and all that stuff. And Alfred's going to have a role in it. But he clearly was born into that privilege, but also doesn't want it. And it's a tough thing because we can say he has a responsibility, but he doesn't want it. If he doesn't want it, he could take steps to get rid of it. In this movie, he has the assets. I mean, he's clearly living in the house. He's using the terminal as his waypoint for all his Batman stuff. And he's got all the gadgets. So it's not like he was barely surviving hand to mouth. Well, he's pumping everything into being the Batman. Right. The fact that he doesn't want it and he doesn't care about the money goes to show just how privileged he is because he doesn't know what it's like without the money. Yeah, that's fair. But what's nice too is that it's not like he's walking around like Christian Bale in $10,000 suits either. Mm Mm-hmm. That black ensemble he's wearing doesn't even fit. (laughs) Yeah, and he seriously needed a haircut. He really did. It was distractingly bad. He really did, yeah. And it's supposed to be bad because he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So yeah, given Bruce's naivete, I can't help but kind of respect at least part of what 
Riddler is doing. My husband felt the same way watching it. And I think that's what makes him a great villain is because we relate. We live in the same corrupt world where another politician is outed every fucking week, but nothing happens. They just openly flaunt their corruption. And I'm not saying killing is right, not at all. Not saying vigilantism is right, but Riddler, in his mild defense, he's at least going after the right people. Yeah, he's going after the right people, but he also has this idea that if he just Noah's ox this whole place, <laughs> it's going to come up as, you know, keeping with the biblical references as Eden. Yeah, yeah. See, that's where the crazy part comes in. <laughs> and that doesn't work and that's the crux of my frustration with bruce wayne because he has the ability to make systemic change it'll take a while to do it he has the power and the privilege and the money to do it yeah but he's looking micro right and i think that's partly due to the way his parents died he's still stuck there in that night, mm -hmm. you know, he thinks it's the street crime that's the problem. And he finally gets it. That's why I think his arc, the progression of it is solid. He gets it mm -hmm. when he unmasks that shooter. And it's the same guy earlier from the church, from the mayor's memorial. This guy also says, I'm vengeance. And the look on Batman's face says it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he realizes how badly he fucked up. Yeah. I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And he says, I have had an effect here, just not the one I intended. Yep. So the creation of this Riddler, it takes um, the opening of the Dark Knight a step further, you know, in creating more vigilantes. This isn't just guys in hockey pads. Yeah, that's true. Bruce did not consider what he could inspire. And Riddler really isn't any different. He is still a vigilante going after bad guys. He's just doing it in a very horrific way. Yeah. And I can't deny it. You are absolutely right. The ending of this movie is terrifying because it could happen. It fucking will happen. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of yeah. time. I mean, is January 6th that far off from this? No. It might be worse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the fact that there were only 500 followers is surprising. That's the unrealistic part of this movie. You may be right about that. So at the very end here, we get a glimpse of Nashton's cellmate. And this is Barry Cogan from Eternals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, they don't mention it's the Joker, but we know it's the Joker. Of course, because of that laugh. Yeah. And the dialogue and the everything about him. Yes, I do think if they do come up with a second movie, which I think would be a mistake, but anyways, and the Joker is around, Barry Cogan would do a great job. He has that creepy vibe. I didn't really care for him in The Eternals. Yeah, we're also hoping we're saying his name correctly. He's Irish. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. It might be <laughs> Kevin. Who the fuck knows? Well, you're the one who's going to tell me. I have no idea. Oh, once you get out there in the UK, I'm clueless. Especially Wales. The Welsh, it might as well be Venusian. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, as far as Kogan himself, I'm not sure about that. But when it comes down to it, 
I've seen enough of the Joker. There are so many mm-hmm. other Batman villains that I think Matt Reeves could come in and do a great job with, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm also hoping that Penguin plays a bigger role. We did get a close-up of him. Yes. I So I think that's important. And Colin Farrell is also getting his own Penguin HBO series. Really? Yes. I did not know that. I shall be tuning in. Uh-huh. Okay. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, it's in pre-production. It was officially ordered uh, back in March of this year. Okay. Well, you know, I say yes that let me know how it goes. But at the same time, the fact that he's getting his own HBO series is worrying me. Because, well, let's be honest. DC has been trying to copy Marvel for a while unsuccessfully. The only thing that they've done successfully was the DC Arrowverse uh, on television, which did pretty well for its run. They're just not being able to replicate even a quarter of the success that Marvel's had. So with them trying to do this HBO series makes me think this is the Disney Plus version of DC. Yeah, that's a point. And, And we'll see. Who knows? Maybe there's a flip coming because... The quality of Marvel's recent Disney Plus shows is the reason we are now simply the madams. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't have high hopes for it, frankly, but I guess we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Same for the sequel. Mm-hmm. If there is one. Oh, there will be one. I hope there isn't. There will be one. Do you even live on planet Earth? Come on. I know financially it makes sense. But I think it would be a mistake. Well, I would definitely like to see the further progression of Bruce's arc. Well, there's no guarantee that Robert Pattinson will be playing Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he will. Come on. The reason I'm saying that is because the actors playing Bruce Wayne have changed more than people changed their underwear. Nobody's ever done it just once. Yes, there have been just once. George Clooney. Oh, you're right. See, that's how much I've scrubbed that movie from my brain. But see, that's because society as a whole understood what a colossal mistake that movie was. This was not a mistake. (laughs) But I cannot, I've said this before, I cannot fault Mr. Clooney for accepting that role because what little boy didn't dream Mm -hmm. of being Batman? Of course. All right. So that wraps up our trip to Gotham City. I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. This movie has so much to say. It does have a lot to say, yes, but I'm glad that I will be a little less depressed now. Now, in our new format here as the Madams, we are going to be wrapping up every movie with a special rating sticking to our roots. Out of six Infinity Stones, Amy, how do you rate this movie? I feel like I need an Infinity Stone of protection right now because I'm going to give this a four out of six. Okay. So Amy and I discussed this rating system previously, and I will be honest, it does drive (laughs) me a little insane because I really like round numbers and I really wanted it to be Mm -hmm. out of 10, but we both agree that we really want to keep the Infinity Stones in there. So we'll just do it out of six and I'll grind my teeth through in every episode. (laughs) It's not even. (laughs) Yes, because Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. That's right. And there's only six of them. Yes. Well, I mean, there's a lot more of them in the drawers of the TVA, but in terms of type, 
there are six of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So not surprisingly, I'm giving the Batman six out of six Infinity Stones. Yeah. For me, I think it loses two Infinity Stones because the story is, it's a good story, but it's not extremely original. <laughs> and at the same time, and Robert Pattinson, uh, no, thank you. Now, see, I'm thinking too hard about it now because I'm like, well, which stones does it lose specifically? <laughs> We're not going there. We're not going there. <laughs> okay. I know one thing for sure. It loses the time stone because this is too fucking long. See, it never feels like three hours to me. Never. It felt like three hours to me <laughs> or more, much more. Six hours in the last three days I've lost for this fucking movie. <laughs> Next week, we continue to nerd out for the month of August with a movie that we both love and we were both drooling over for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yes. So with our new format, everybody, comes a whole new Patreon. Yes, we have brand new Patreon categories with a whole suite of perks for you. Instead of just one tier now, we have three for you guys. So we have $2, $5, So this month for every level, you're all getting a bonus episode of our favorite movies. Yeah. And that was a fun recording. Yes. Yes, it was. And I guarantee you guys will be as surprised as I was by my partner. <laughs> I like to keep things interesting. What can I say? You certainly do. One day I'll figure you out. <laughs> so moving forward, all of our $2 patrons, you guys are going to get ad-free episodes. At our $5 level, you'll also get a monthly bonus episode related to whatever our theme for the month is. And $10 donors, will you get to have tea with the madams each month? Mm-hmm. Where we gossip about all the weird shit that's happening in Hollywood. Yes. So this month, what else are we talking about? But Ezra Miller and Amber fucking heard. Yeah, that episode is bonkers. Yes, and not because of us, but because of these psychos out in the world. <laughs> just being weirdos and criminals. I just, I cannot comprehend it. Yeah, it's not bonkers because of us. It's bonkers because of them, because they are bonkers. And you can find the link to our Patreon right in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us at the movies today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Let us know what you think about the Batman on Twitter and Instagram at the Madam's Pod. Follow us there to get hints for our next episode. And visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. Well, the last I saw him was Iron Man. That is Mickey Rourke. What am I going to do with you? No, no, no. Iron Man 3. That is Guy Pierce. Do you see what I deal with, people? Do you see what I deal with? No, no, no. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to go and say, no, hold on. Right. Guy Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> You guys don't know how much of this she edits out. Her IMDb <laughs> arguing with me about who's playing who. 